Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Well, today we're continuing our series, Reasons to Believe. So let's turn in our Bibles to John chapter 4, verses 27 to 42, as Dr. Newfeld brings us a message titled, Harvest. We have all heard of two kinds of people, uh, those who think the glass is half empty and those who think it's half full. The first are the pessimists and the second, well, they're the optimists. Glass half empty people notice what's not there. They see that things are not as they should be. And glass half full people notice what is there. Things could be a lot worse and they notice that things are a lot better than they might be. You know, as a Christian, I'm an optimist. I think I'm duty bound to be an optimist. You know, for what I know from the promises of God, that my best days are definitely ahead of me. I also know that God is king over this earth and that nothing can happen except that which he wills or allows according to his own long-term sovereign designs. You know, that means that God is guiding the world to its consummation when the glory of God will fill the earth as the waters cover the sea. But still, I can almost hear glass half-empty Christians. Yes, yes, they say, but don't you know? We're headed toward the great tribulation. It is true that Christ will return, but until then, things will get steadily worse. And besides, they say, have a look at our country. Values are eroding, and and the folks who do the doomsday clock, well, they say the world's leaders have been unable or unwilling to address the greatest threats to humanity's future. And so we are now, they say, two minutes away from midnight. Wow, when one hears that, I don't think the glass is even half empty. It's almost entirely empty. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but in today's text, we're going to read a line from the mouth of Jesus. Look, he says, lift up your eyes and see. The fields are white for harvest. In other words, these are great days. Wow, I think that our days are great as well. Now, of course, we're going to have to be responsible Bible students, and we're going to have to ask whether At every era in human history, we should have the same view. And so let's leave that matter for just a little while. But I raise the issue now because Jesus thought, at least in his day, that while he was living, he was living in an incredible time when a great number of men and women were going to come into the kingdom of heaven. In spite of the fact that Jesus was brutally honest about the world's evil, he saw a great many hungry people ready to enter the kingdom of heaven. Okay, let's remember we've been studying John chapter 4. Jesus has been engaged in a conversation with a woman at a well in Samaria, and he's offering her living water, and she wants it. Then he told her that he knew that her life was full of brokenness and hurt and shame and sin. And with that, he again reiterates his offer. He offers her a place where she might join the company of men and women who worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And then he reveals to her that he really is the long-expected Messiah. Well, that's our background, so now let's read our text. John chapter 4, verses 27 to 42. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, What do you seek? Or, Why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. 
So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say, There are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this indeed is the Savior of the world. Now our text begins as it shows Jesus still in dialogue with the woman when his disciples show up. They have been in the Samaritan village of Sychar, where Jesus has sent them to buy food, and upon returning, well, they couldn't have been more shocked. You know, for one, as a basic rule, Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. But furthermore, most rabbis would never have spoken with a woman in public, even with his own wife. As one reads this, one might wonder how much more shocked they could have been if they had discovered that he had just told her that he was the Messiah, a claim that he had not yet made to anyone in Israel. Now, we might take just a little sidestep here and notice that Jesus is not impacted by the sexism of his day. He was able to see beyond these discriminatory social practices and actually see a woman in need. But let's get back to the disciples. You know, they don't say what they're all thinking. Why are you talking to her? It's unseemly to do so. And what, of course, they don't see is that while they sit down and eat, the woman leaves in a great hurry, and she's left her water jar. Now, it may be that she was aware that Jesus and his followers had no means of getting water from the well, so she might have left her jar for them to use. Well, perhaps the disciples have not seen how an immoral Samaritan woman has just blessed them. Perhaps they're too busy seeing that the, that the glass is half empty. I mean, after all, they are in Samaria, and they are definitely uncomfortable there. And while they're at the well, the woman has been busy in town. I don't imagine Sychar was a very large town, and, and no doubt everyone knew everyone. And the woman might have been an outcast, but still everyone knows her. And on this day, she's talking to everyone. Come with me. There's a man at the well, she says, who must be a prophet. He told me everything I ever did. Now, when I read that line, I've got to assume one of two things. First, she might simply be overstating the case. That is, she's exaggerating. I mean, all he actually did was tell her that she'd had five husbands, and now she was living common law with a man. And so, if that's the case, he told me everything I ever did is really saying too much. But it's also possible that John the Apostle, the author of this book, has only given us a small portion of the conversation between Jesus and this woman. Perhaps Jesus did tell her a lot more about her sins, about her failures and her greatest wounds. And perhaps she really did feel like he looked right through her, saw her for everything she had become, and yet he did not reject her. She's astonished by such an encounter with a, with a Jewish man. But then again, he is a prophet. But she is saying more. Can this be the Messiah, she asks. Well, maybe 
You can almost hear the villagers gather. Maybe we're living in the greatest of all days that the long-expected Messiah has arrived right here in Samaria, not just Samaria, but in our little village of Sychar. At the very least, you should come out and see. And before we move on, let's make sure that we don't miss something that's quite significant here. You know, when the early church began, after Jesus was crucified and raised, and then with the beginning of the church, listen as Luke records the preaching of an evangelist named Philip. Here I'm reading from Acts chapter 8, verses 5 to 8. It says, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. Now listen, the success of the gospel in Samaria marks the beginnings of the Gentile mission. And I have no doubt that this woman's story prepared the way for the gospel in Samaria. And the success of the gospel in Samaria opened the door for the success of the Gentile mission. So this, at the well, is no insignificant thing. I think we will never know what happens when one person comes to Christ. You know, through that one person, maybe an entire family is one to Christ. A workplace is transformed. A pastor, a missionary, a, a Christian worker is called out who touches many. I mean, the list goes on and on. I wonder whether we ever know what happens when just one person is transformed. That's the first lesson that we must take from this encounter. And so while the disciples now sit with Jesus at the well on the outside of the town, the disciples are unaware of what Jesus and that woman have been talking about. And they're also unaware that the woman is stirring up the entire town. And that town is about to welcome Jesus. You see, they are unaware that at that very moment, the fields are white unto harvest, and a great company of men and women will make their way into the kingdom of God. The glass is definitely half full. These are amazing days. So grateful to hear feedback from listeners as we celebrate 60 years of ministry. Friends of the Ministry wrote recently to share how encouraged they've been over the years listening to the Bible teaching of Theodore Epp, how he was a great man of faith, vision, and faithfulness to the Word of God. And now they continue to listen every day with gratitude as Dr. Neufeld remains faithful to this same legacy. The Word of God does not change, and we continue to celebrate its truth and the good news shared for all mankind. Thank you for allowing us the privilege to continue a 60-year legacy of Bible teaching made possible through the prayers and gifts of friends like you right across Canada for six decades. Please continue with your gracious support as the truth of God's Word is broadcast across our nation. Call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca today. conversation begins in a rather mundane fashion. Why aren't you eating? You know, in truth, Jesus is waiting with anticipation. He knows that something significant is going on right now in the village of Sychar. How could he eat with this going on? 
And with that, he begins to explain himself. He begins by quoting Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. You know, in that passage, Moses is helping Israel understand their experience. The reason God let you hunger for a while, says Moses, and then fed you with manna was to teach you that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And that's what Jesus says on this occasion. My food, he says, is to do the will of him who sent me. Okay. But the disciples wouldn't have understood. And what is it that he's doing right now that's such a great work that he has no time to eat? Did any of that have anything to do with his conversation with that Samaritan woman? Well, Jesus goes on. You shouldn't say it's still another four months until the harvest. And by the way, that sentence seems to indicate that this incident, that is, this encounter in Samaria, would probably have taken place in either December or in January. That's because the harvest in that part of the world would happen in late April into May. Now, since the economy of Israel was dependent on agriculture, everyone knew that harvest season was so very important. But Jesus is telling his disciples, it's harvest time right now. Of course, he's speaking metaphorically, and and the disciples would have known that. But they still wouldn't have known how to interpret the metaphor, exactly what is he talking about. So notice verse 36, how he begins that sentence with the word already. You know, other translations say, even now, right now. Well, you think everything is normal right now, even now, already. Reapers are out in the field collecting wages. Again, the disciples would have been confused. I mean, what reapers is he talking about? And of course, we know as we read through the account that he's speaking about the woman. Right now in a ripened harvest field in the village of Sychar, this woman has become a harvester and she's urging her fellow villagers into the harvest. She's calling the town to go and and meet the Messiah, the Savior of the world who has come to the well at the outskirts of their town. And we know that the field was white unto harvest because the villagers of Sychar, instead of telling this woman she was crazy, were so hungry for the Messiah, they're willing to cancel the day's workload and journey to the well and find out for themselves. Indeed, right now, the fields are white. That's the color when the grain is ripe. And then, just so he can make it overwhelmingly clear that both the sowers and the reapers are in the field together, Now, because the disciples were were well-trained in the Old Testament, they would immediately know that he was referring to Amos chapter 9, verse 13. In the last days, says Amos, the plowman will overtake the reaper, and the mountains will drip with sweet wine. So the the passage has to do with the, the very last days when God will pour out his blessing on the redeemed. Again, even though Jesus is speaking metaphorically, the metaphor should be plain to us who read. The sowers are those like John the Baptist who's preparing the way for the Messiah. Well, just a little while ago, they had left John, the sower, and now they've encountered a woman who's a reaper. These are the great days at the end of time. And suddenly the disciples' heads must have snapped around. I mean, what is going on? Are we suddenly in the last days? Are, Are we standing at the precipice of the greatest days in human history? Did something just happen? While we were in Sychar buying food, did we miss something? But of course, the disciples are not just the observers. You know, in verse 38, Jesus had said to them, I have sent you to reap for that which you did not labor. In other words, there are events transpiring that that you're not aware of. 
events that you had nothing to do with, but these events will give you a very great reward. And then as they're wondering about what this narrative might mean, John the disciple breaks into this narrative by telling us that all the while Jesus is telling his disciples these things, the woman at the well has persuaded the town to join her and go out to the well and find Jesus. So let's go to verse 40. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. You know, when I read that verse, I can't help but think about the comment that was made in verse 9 of this chapter. Jesus has just started the conversation with the woman, and she says, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? And then John, the author, adds the words, For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans, not at all. Now, because John wrote the book of John while he was living in Ephesus, and during a time after the Jews had been driven from their homeland, John found it necessary to explain this feature to a culture that didn't understand how it used to be. But John wants us to know how significant this moment is. Jews and Samaritans never mix, but they do here. For two days, Jesus took his disciples into the town of Sychar, And since there would have been no hotels, they would have stayed in Samaritan homes and eaten with them. Walls would have come down as the disciples, in in absolute amazement, were witnessing something they'd never thought possible. Now to verses 41 and 42. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. You know, John does not tell us what happened in those two days, and no doubt Jesus preached there. So I'm assuming that his ministry, as it was everywhere he went, was accompanied by signs. I have no doubt he healed their sick and showed them that the kingdom of God had come to them. But, says John, what happened is that many believed. Now, now please notice that in the book of John, we have up till now seen a great many examples of believing. Remember John chapter 1, verses 12 to 13. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. That is to say, that all who believe in Jesus are born again. But of course, we also sadly remember John chapter 2, verses 23 to 24, that, that while Jesus was in Jerusalem at Passover, many believed in his name, but Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew what was in their hearts. In other words, the kind of believing that happened in Jerusalem that Passover was a defective kind of believing, a, a surface level of believing that, that never made its way into their hearts. So they believed in his power and in his miracles, but they did not believe in him. And then when we came to John chapter 3, we met Nicodemus, who, according to verse 2, believes that Jesus is a teacher who has come from God. But as we learned, Nicodemus had not been born again. That is, his religion, at least at that point in time, was external and not of a transformed heart. And with that, John, as he tells us of this account, wants us to examine the kind of believing that's going on in Samaria. And according to verse 42, they say, we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. See, the question we need to ask is this. What did these Samaritan villagers believe about Jesus? 
Well, back in John chapter 3, verse 17, John says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So we've got to assume, therefore, that the Samaritans had come to believe that God's saving purposes had come to them. Through this one man, and in that sense, they believed that he would save them. There seems like a genuine faith indeed. And that brings us to the theme of the harvest and the ability of Jesus to see that the cup was indeed half full and that there were indeed people groups around the disciples who wanted everything that Jesus had to offer. You know, it might have been that a good many in Jerusalem only had a a superficial belief. And on that basis, we might say, well, the cup's only half empty. But here in Samaria, there's a different story. And we in our day have to see that. Listen, I've met so many believers who are going to tell you things are only going to get worse. You know, people aren't interested in Jesus in our day. I've heard it all. But I do know that there are many people who are fascinated with Jesus. I've met many immigrants who are. The poor are. People whose lives have been destroyed in some fashion are. You know, right now, all over the world, we're in harvest mode. These are great days. If only we would look where we have never looked before, beyond our immediate circle of friends, to see what God is doing in the world. God is doing an amazing work. The glass is half full. Become a harvester and see what God is doing. Look, the fields are white unto harvest. Thanks, John. Uh, Quick question. You know, I wonder if Christians have a difficulty defining what good times are. Are these good times? Well, maybe our definition should be different than those around us. Yeah, wow. There's so much in that that point, Ben. I mean, you just think about that. Because so many of us put our good times when the economy is working well, you know, when, when the government is passing laws that are favorable to Christians. I mean, we define good times that way. But when the government does the opposite or when the economy is down or whatever else happens, those are bad times. So we define ourselves. I think you've said it very well. It's interesting that if we actually define the goodness of God in terms of seeing his purposes worked out, And then when I come to Jesus saying, look, the fields are white unto harvest, I mean, if we think globally and we think about, uh, you know, places, for instance, the global south, where there's these great movements of the gospel, or in places where we've never thought it before, these are amazing days, Ben, if, if you think about it in terms of God's purposes being fulfilled. That's a great challenge. Thanks so much, John. Remember to join us again tomorrow right here on Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. The regular gifts of our partner to tell monthly partners have become the very backbone to sustain the Bible teaching programs of Back to the Bible Canada. Programs that reach out to every demographic using every possible medium, teaching the truth of God's Word that speaks into every area and question of life. Partner to tell monthly partners are critical to the ongoing ministry of Back to the Bible Canada's daily Bible teaching program with Dr. John Newfeld. They support the ongoing ministry to young adults through In Doubt. They provide messages of hope and joy shared daily that point to Jesus through Laugh Again. And now your gifts will become increasingly important as Truth in Life Today reaches potentially millions of households offering biblical truth that engages culture. 
Thank you for all you do. And if you're interested in joining the ranks of Partner to Tell Partners, do so today by calling 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.